0: And hello, everyone in the sports world in the Rio Grande Valley and abroad. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the South Texas Border Sports Podcast. Don't forget, you can hear our podcast every Monday drop on anchor.fm forward slash SCBS. This podcast is also available through Spotify, Apple, iTunes, and the Google Podcast Store. Uh, folks, last week there was not a podcast, and that is all on me. I failed to secure a proper guest last week and that is all on me and the unforeseen circumstances on that lies on me and me only. But today I am happy to bring with you, uh, he's a good friend of mine. He's um, never been on my podcast before but I've known him for a number of years. He is Ron Kretz. Uh, Ron Kretz is currently serving as a school administrator in the san antonio area and before kretz jumped on to serving into the public service of being a school administrator uh, kretz served over 30 years of coaching uh, but he hung up the whistle and he wants to share a little bit of the coaching in order to get yourself organized if you want to become a coach and prepare yourself to to greatness now coach kretz has had uh, numerous articles published on the Texas High School Coaches Association monthly magazine. As Texas coaches, some of his articles have also been mentioned in the American Baseball Coaches Association and also the College Digest. And just to give you an example of how Coach Krest has affected the community here in the Rio Grande Valley, uh, many years ago, he took over a program in Rio Hondo, Texas, which is just east of where this podcast is located. The program had no youth baseball programs, nothing. And his first year, he turned it around uh, to a 500 program and then eventually took it to a ranking as high as number 10. But nonetheless, I would like to welcome in Mr. Ron Kretz. Ron, how are you? Good evening. Good. And thanks for joining
1: I appreciate it. Thanks for being here.
0: Yes, sir. And Ron, I just got to ask you. You know, I first met you when you were in Rio Hondo, Texas, and you were co- uh, coaching the Bobcats back then. Well, how did that help you uh, as a formation of the coach uh, changed you to what you are now?
1: Well, uh, coaching the Bobcats was a huge stepping stone for me because. That was the first school where I had the opportunity to be an offensive coordinator uh, for David Robledo on the football team, and also be the head baseball coach. Uh, but you know what? My my growth as a coach happened years before that, when I was coaching at Harlingen South, uh, working under Hody Garcia. Uh, he had won a state championship at Victoria Stroman, uh, and and working with him and for him, however you want to say it, was a was a challenge and it was an opportunity. I, I just wrote daily notes. And uh, and then the ability to take my, uh, what I learned from him to Rio Hondo and, and put it in play uh, is, is like, well, okay, what he taught me works, the process works, stick with it, and everything's going to turn out great. So uh, I guess you can say that's where I started uh, having great success.
0: Now, I, you jumped on to the, uh, you moved on to bigger things. You left Rio Hondo, you left to Harlingen High, another program that was quite the struggle. What did Rio Hondo teach you there that you didn't learn at Harlingen to uh, to kind of like flip that program around as well, too?
1: Yeah. Uh, Rio Hondo Hondo taught me a lot of patience uh, and take nothing for granted. Uh, We had no Little League program at Rio Hondo when I started. Everything was uh, in its infancy. The kids have played a little bit of baseball. Their dads have taught them but it wasn't uh, what it needed to be at a competitive level. So just taking everything I learned from Hody and breaking it down into small parts and basically uh, teaching baseball like a class. You know, this is how we're going to catch. This is how we're going to throw. Uh, and, and the kids were really respect, uh, receptive. They're good athletes. Uh, and that's what I miss about coaching at the 3A school was that all your football players were your basketball players. Your basketball players did baseball and track. Uh, and that wasn't so much the case at uh, 6A Heart Engine. but uh, you know, at Hardingen, you have kids that focus on baseball, and uh, I loved it.
0: And you, you know, you try to bring in a little bit of everything of, of what you've done, but now you have been successful as a coach that you've been able to establish a small blog called com. That's K R E tz files.com and as a as a coach now as an administrator how has that uh to continue uh i guess the coaching path if one that does not know anything say for example like me um i want to become a coach and yet i have no foundation to grab a hold of Yet, you can have all these mentors on the outside, but no coattails to grab upon what what do you tell that person, and how do you and how do you go upon trying to implement their their coaching methods?
1: Yeah, so uh, that's the main purpose of my blog is uh, I had to uh, you know I played sports in high school. all my brothers did. We love the game. Uh, it's still part of my family. But as a coach, I had to uh, go to clinics to get the finer points of coaching. Uh, when I went to clinics, I always made my way to the uh, to, to, to the big boys, you could say, like Rocky Manuel at Houston Bel Air, uh, even talking to Bart Bickerton there at Sherryland, Eliseo Pompa at McAllen every now and then. Uh, just having short chats with those guys and picking their brain. I was always looking for ways to get better and and what made these men so competitive year in and year out. And uh, that, that's the purpose of my blog for the the coach who is isolated in East or West Texas, can't make his way to the clinics as often. You know, my blog is an opportunity for me to write some thoughts down and and share with him uh, a process uh, where if he doesn't have a mentor you know, he he could look at my site and grab a couple of nuggets and help him become a better coach and in turn help his players. And uh, the blog started out during COVID. Uh, You know, the whole world shut down in the beginning. And as a teacher coach, there's nothing to do. There's no practices, no lessons for the sport. So, uh, you know, after I did my Zoom lesson, I decided in the the history class, I decided to uh, start blogging and learn how to do it. And, uh, and and right now it's uh, it, it's a nice little uh, activity to keep me busy.
0: Absolutely, as you can log on and try to get those coaching nuggets at kretzfiles.com. That is kretzfiles.com. Uh, Ron, I I've got to ask you now, how have you adjusted now to the working as at administrative? Uh, principal now, now that the coaching whistle has hung up, how, do, how does each each job remind you that there's some similarities, but yet the stark contrast kicks in every once in a while?
1: Um, my main point is being a, a high school principal is exactly like coaching a football team or baseball team, except your team is bigger. Uh, your teachers are your coaches. Your all your students are your players, and uh, and, and that's how I, that's how I see it. And that helps me get through the day. Uh, what I do see, though, in contrast, is when you're coaching football, you're going to do this, 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 and this throughout your day. When you're at a high school administrator, your day can be dictated by on campus. You know, at, at one point you can be in a uh, an art meeting for a special needs student. And then the next class period, uh, you're watching a teacher teach. Third period, you have a student conflict that you have to help resolve. Fourth period, you're investigating something that happened in the parking lot. Then you go to a two lunch period. And then you finally eat lunch at about one thirty, two o'clock in the afternoon. And then you make your way around the halls to catch the uh, the Stragglers in the afternoon and that just don't be at school, and then the four o'clock bell rings, and the kids get on the bus and go home. And uh, the best part of being a school administrator now is at 4.30, I get to go home too. There's no staying at the school until seven to eight, nine o'clock at night, there's no laundry to do anymore. Uh, you know, I, I, I still love coaching, I still can't stay in contact with a lot of my and uh working this blog allows me to, to stay involved in the game and I'm able to work on the blog when I want, not when I have to. So I guess you can say I'm semi-retired already, but uh, it, it's it's a good passion of both. And, and I can still make a difference in the schools because as a, you have those uh, high maintenance players that need some redirection. And uh, as a principal, you have more, more students that uh, need and hopefully that can make a difference in our lives.
0: Now, parental involvement has always been a, a heavy conversation that administrators and coaches face on a daily basis, but how much more percentage is there more parental involvement than, say, uh, being a coach?
1: Um, well, I've always been fortunate that I was able to talk to parents, even as a coach. To bring him into the booster clubs, et cetera. Um, but I'm gonna say as an administrator, uh, unfortunately, I get a chance to talk to the parents on not so good terms, but they're extremely receptive. The hundred and something referrals I've had to deal with this year, uh, there's only one parent out of all those referrals that was you know blaming me for her son. Uh, and then you can understand why that why that kid is the way he is. Uh, but on the same token, he he, he is turning around. Uh, But as far as parental involvement, the the parents need and when you're helping them as a school administrator, they want their kids to succeed. But more of a behavioral issue, you know, why have illegal substances on campus or tobacco on campus? Uh, You know, those are more, it's not so much as a kid learning how to run inside zone, it's how is this kid going to survive high school and not be arrested? So those are more they got a face and, and the parents are, uh, but a lot of it just has to do with the friends that they keep.
0: As I'm being joined by Ron Kretz of kretzfiles.com. That's K-R-E-T-Z files.com. How has everything become so different than what it once used to be?
1: The number one thing is social media. I mean, social media is good for people like you and I. We're able to converse and share our thoughts for on a positive note for everybody to hear. Uh, but social media is a killer in athletics and in in the classroom. Uh, in athletics, you know, a lot of uh, parents have access or do have access to social media, and they they post anything and everything to promote their kid. And at the same time, they can promote negativity that can tear apart a team. As an administrator, it's the exact same thing. A lot of the social issues and conflicts that I have dealing with students comes from Instagram uh, or social media apps in general. And what it ends up being is it's all he said, she said. And then when you bring the parties in in the office and sit them down, you know, they they forget why they're arguing, you know, because they thought this person said it, but no, they didn't. This person told them, so they put it down. And you know that little game you did elementary, where you whisper in somebody's ear. And by the time it gets around to the circle, there's something else. That's what ha- that's what's happening on social media, uh, you know. And uh, a lot of people, a lot of students, uh, they hide behind that ma- that screen, and uh, they become very really, uh, bullish. Uh, they want to take control of a person uh, by social media and uh, eventually you know we even have to have the uh, campus police step in and uh, try to rectify the issue legally so that that's the main difference out of everything
0: yes and y- y- you know i mean thankfully for me i graduated at a time where it was sh- not even 5 years after five, uh, 9/11 and you just started to see like the turn of the corner where you know we're so where socially a lot of people already had their clicks, uh-huh. but then you also multiply the factor of social media and it makes the problems 100 times worse because now not only are you dealing with the parent, you're also dealing with the with the person there in campus and you have a lot of external factors that you don't know what you're dealing with. But now as a school administrator, is it worth more paying attention to what's being done in the campus rather than what is done online? Or does it now become a fifty50 type challenge for you.
1: well uh, on campus we educate our students about what they should say and what they should avoid saying. Uh, we educate uh, all the students about you know proper etiquette what and just being good people. you know we have this uh, what we call them SEL, social emotional learning time on campus. Uh, we spend fifteen minutes. Uh, every day working with the child, social and emotional needs, especially after COVID, a lot of them are disconnected and they've been hiding behind that screen during the COVID years. And now they they need to learn how to adjust. So, uh, you know, as, as a campus, we don't go and uh, and pick social media accounts. Uh, as a campus, we're, after we educate, we have to react to what they're doing. Uh, we can't prevent them. writing what they write but when they do write something that is uh threatening uh harmful or endangering a student a staff an employee or the campus itself then that becomes a legal issue and uh you know some of the kids think well i was just playing when i said i wanted to kill him but you wrote it in an instagram you wrote it in a text you wrote it in many different areas it's consistent it's from you and you're addressing that student you know now it's a legal issue and after that, we send them to campus PD and you know it's, it's out of our hands. And usually that, uh, that student gets sent to alternative school for, for threats. And once you do that one time on campus, word gets, and the tone of messaging usually changes. Uh, but we do our very best to educate everybody. We can't control what they say because of free speech, but once they want to harm somebody, then it becomes our business.
0: As I'm being joined by Ron Kretz of KretzFiles.com, that's K-A-R-E-T-Z Files.com. Coach, as an author of like 4 ebooks, e-books, uh, and you've brought up, you bring up this question a lot on social media that gut instinct is overrated at times. I may slightly agree to disagree on that issue. For me, uh, for me personally, I always think of it as a psychological part of the game to have the gut instincts because you look at the last three, four years of some of the teams that have made deep playoff runs, including the Atlanta Braves. One of the things that they've been knocked on was running the bases too aggressively. Yet, they kept on that plan on running the bases too aggressively, and that led them to win the World Series this past year. You look at the Dodgers. They're heavily reliant on, on pitching and using the analytics method. This year, that kind of backfired because you didn't have your Clayton Kershaws, your David Prices of the world In in, in your mind. When you're trying to to manage those types of situations, how do you adapt to what's now become a real analytical game now?
1: Yeah. So, uh, you know, you always want, I put gutting things overrated. Uh, that's more of a tweets to to grab attention to uh, opposite of what everybody's thinking uh, as an eye catcher. But uh, at the same time, at any sport, football, basketball, baseball, you got to use, you got to look at the time, look at the environment, look at the score. You got to take all those into account. And then, you know, you got your list of things that you're able to do. And then you have to use your gut instinct to decide what you're going to do. You know, if it's no outs, bottom of the the seventh in a high school game, and it's a tie game, your number nine hitters at the plate and you got a runner on third. Is he going to squeeze or are you going to want that number nine hitter to hit? You know, you're probably going to ask him to safety squeeze. Uh, but if it's your number three, four, or five hitter, you're probably going to let him hit away. So, you know, you need that run. You look at who's at the bat. Uh, even the football, are you going to punt or are you going to go for it? Uh, you know, those are all things that you got to decide based on the, the analytics of the game. He's got to make the call. And when it's right, you know, he's got strong guts. And when it's wrong, he guessed wrong. So it all depends.
0: Has has the entire sports world become too dependent on analytics?
1: The word analytics is thrown around to make people look smarter than what they are. Uh, There's people that can make a a, a really comfortable living just running statistics for teams, Uh, being in the background, uh, you know, mental health, uh, looking at statistics looking at injuries looking at field conditions so um you know analytics is just a reason to justify why you did something in my opinion
0: okay okay and, and, and you know that for, for me i i've always been doing like statistical work but never broke down the numbers as as to okay if we're playing a night game, I'm going to be doing this. However, if we're playing a day game, our strategy just changes uh, completely just due because there's going to be a lot more energy consumption just due to either the heat, the rain, the cold, the wind, whatever factors it may be. But if it's at night where you know, it's not as humid, it's not as cold, it's not as rainy, it's not as windy, you're going to be applying uh, a different tactical situation. Now, has the tactical side of sports changed through, I guess, throughout the last uh, decade or so? Has that changed uh, for you in your opinion?
1: No, I don't, I don't think so. in football are, are still being run. Um, coaches will adjust. They have, for example, out of the wide open offense that we had at Fresno and Haringen. And then when I became the head football coach at uh, South San Antonio High School, um, we, we just didn't have the ability to do that. So we had to transform and we turned into a flex bone team and run the triple option like Army and Navy. And we were in a very, very competitive district where two district we're always ranked in the in the top 25 in the state or region rather and we're able to compete with those teams by running flex bone running the clock manipulating the ground game and that's where if it's you know fourth and one and you're running because you know the offense is based on getting three yards um but the t- tactics change no ball still in the ball tackling the ball and you know kicking the ball so it dip- every coach is going to do it a different way but the the objectives are the same
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Coach, I would like to thank you for your time out of your busy schedule as an administrator and now a blogger for KretzFiles.com, K-R-E-T-Z Files.com. Coach, just many, many thanks for sharing your insights and thoughts of being now both a former coach, now an administrator. I wish you nothing but the best moving forward. And like I said, I'm going to keep uh, trying to, to dig in into these uh, baseball uh, theories that you have whether you play the shift you don't play the shift I mean that's just a, certainly one of the things that I, I guess Mike Sosha and Joe Madden have really uh, as modern day baseball managers have made me think to, uh, think about the the way of the way that baseball is played uh, defensively but then you also have the Atlanta Braves that, okay, if you're going to be on on the base paths, you're going to, you're going to do a lot of hitting and running. I mean, it's just so many, so many things that you can only do defensively to try to avoid that.
1: Your picture froze. I don't know if you can hear me or not. I guess my internet's bad or something.
0: Yeah, it's, it's going in and out. And as I'm having trouble, uh hearing you uh as well oh,
1: man sorry about that bro.
0: that's okay i'll i will I guess i'll have to edit this out when when i get a chance to on either friday or sunday
1: okay i, I know you're talking about joe madden and, and shifting and stuff like that was there a yeah. question coming out or
0: uh, no 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 i i guess uh no i was just uh, sharing my general thoughts that yeah. um i was sharing my general thoughts as you becoming a a administrator now a coach but for me that i still keep learning about the game of baseball when joe madden and mike shows mike and former angels manager mike Sosha uh play defensive shifts and on the counter side of that argument you have the atlanta braves who are aggressive uh hit and run uh, play, uh playmakers in, in, in that ability just uh just uh, just how do you just defend those approaches
1: Yeah. So um, again, you broke up. You know, talking about the shifts. I was trying to to ban the shift. That's one of the topics that are out there right now.
0: Um, All right, coach.
1: Those coaches that are shifting and base running strategically, they're 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 just trying to find a way a way to win within the rules, and that's what they're doing. So.
0: predict that this MLB lockout will end.
1: Oh man, it's uh they already canceled the, the the first two series of the season and the right now major leagues too far apart. Um you know the owners want a playoff series with 14 games and the players want 12 games. And the, the biggest thing is uh salary. The um uh, the players want a a um uh, like a team salary of 238 million like a salary cap, but it's uh, it's called a a competitive uh, balance tax. So the players want the max to be 238 million per team, but the owners want 220 million. So there's an $18 million difference that the player association and major league has to come across. And the other thing that the players are upset about is that the owners are starting to go after some, the minor leaguers uh, because they're cheaper. You know, you get a, a player who's 30; he's going into arbitration. You know, why pay him millions of dollars when you can go get this kid out of the minors and pay him for half price? Even though the stats will differ a little bit, uh, it's just better economically for the for the owners. So, um, you know, the owners started the lockout. Um, so it's up to the owners to fix it. And uh, they've had four years to do this and uh, neither side budged on it. So it'd be interesting to see, um, you know, hopefully it gets done by Easter. You know, that, that that's my deadline. If it's not done by Easter, we're not going to have a season. And that, that's just my personal thought.
0: All right. Many thanks, Coach, for joining us on the podcast And again, where can people find your work at once again?
1: Yeah, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at Coach Ron Kretz, K-R-E-T-Z. My Instagram page and my Facebook page are all the same. And uh, on the website at KretzFiles, K-R-E-T-Z, files.com. And after April, my goal is to start putting some football topics on there as well. So, uh, everything I've done in my career, I'm slowly but surely putting up on the blog, and uh, it's useful for all coaches of all ages, of all sports.
0: Many thanks, Coach, once again for joining us. I appreciate your time and efforts.
1: I appreciate you, Ray. Thanks for all you do for the Rio Grande Valley.
0: Thank you. Hello, sports fans. Thanks for listening to another episode of the South Texas Border Sports Podcast. This is your host, Ray Silva. Be tuned next week for another great episode as we drop podcasts every Monday here on anchor.fm forward slash STBS. Don't forget, our podcast can also be found via Google Podcasts, Apple iTunes, and Spotify. Thanks for listening.